Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of April 6th, 2020. On the show today, believe it or not, there's still news. And in our main segment, Jim tells us the history of Flower and Garden at Epcot. Let's get started by bringing in the man who points out that if pineapples developed a spiky outside to protect its delicious fruit inside, imagine how tasty a hedgehog must be. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's just ironic you're talking about pineapples because... Uh, just a day or so ago, Nancy and I got our box from Misfit Market. Have, have I talked about this previously? The it's it's damaged. Fr- I've heard it. I know what it is. It's damaged fruit, right? Like uh, stuff that's not aesthetically pleasing enough to make it to like Whole Foods. This is true, and Nancy's a big supporter of this idea. But I'm the one who cooks in the house, and having a time bomb of produce that's going south is it, a lot of pressure, Len. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I've made my way through the easy items. I made red bliss potato salad yesterday. I made sure. apple pecan muffins. And now I'm staring down the double barrel gauntlet of cabbage and kale. <laughs> there isn't a human being who can make anything really edible out of this. It's just basically, it's like, let's just say it. You're compost. <laughs> Coleslaw for everyone, Jim. Coleslaw. Social distancing. I can't even go to my neighbors. It's like, hi, here's a horrible bowl of green slop for you. <laughs> I'm being wow. thoughtful. Yeah, what do, you, what do you do with cabbage when, when you can't make coleslaw? Oh, Jim, kimchi. Great. Okay, so it's something to bury in the yard to come <laughs> exactly. back to in five months. If I remember where it is <laughs> in remember. the yard, go out. It's no, fine. there's a dead bear. Oh, he found the kimchi. Okay. So. <laughs> you can leave it for the people who buy your house when you sell it. Which thing smells worse, the bottled thing of kimchi or the septic tank? <laughs> <laughs> See, I was thinking that as you, uh, after you sign the papers to close in the house mm-hmm. and you exchange the keys, you turn around as you're like uh, closing the door and you say, by the way, I buried some stuff in the backyard and then just leave, <laughs> like in the car and go. Uh, <laughs> I'll remind you of that when we're talking about the tree farm. All right, fair enough. Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. By the way, Jim, record mm-hmm. number of subscribers. Oh Congratulations to all of us. Okay. All right. Thanks to new subscribers, Troy H., Allie M. in Texas, and Anthony L.E., and longtime subscribers, Alex B., Kelly R., and D.D. in New York. Jim, these enterprising folks have discovered that the unused cotton candy from Disney's theme parks can substitute as environmentally friendly home insulation. So if you're taking the time now to do some home remodeling, they can get you a sweet, sweet deal. True story. Just a reminder to all of the small people who are in the car listening as Daddy is listening to this podcast, Uncle Len really isn't serious when he talks about how the the pink household insulation is cotton candy. Or at least, let me say, I'm distancing myself from Len making this claim. I didn't say the stuff in the house currently is. I said that unused cotton candy could be. Two completely different things. Be sure to stress that to your attorneys. <laughs> exactly. Let me, let me go over exactly what I said. Speaking of attorneys, let's do the news, Jim. Disney buys some land. So our friends over at WDWNT.com are reporting that Disney bought a little over 26 acres of land about half a mile or so west of the Grand Floridian. Two things here, Jim. One, did you know that there was land available <laughs> half a mile west of the Grand Floridian? I didn't. Back in 65, when Disney announced they were building this project, there was the equivalent of an Oklahoma land rush that, you know, people began to snatch up pieces of property, mostly down by I-4 thereabouts. In fact, Mm -hmm. there were some people who were able to retire 
just on selling, you know, a quarter of an acre of land, which then became a gas station or the closest one to property. But yeah, there were also people who bought up by the, the northernmost corner of Disney, which turned out to be maybe not the best thing. But it's not like they're making new real estate, unless, right. of course, you know, the volcano comes up out of the ground. So, yeah, what people need to remember, though, is in addition to these 26 acres of land that were bought out a mile or a half mile or so from the Grand Floridian, last December, Disney also bought 235 acres pretty much in the same area. So what's the long-range plan here? If you look at the original plan for Walt Disney World, we had lots of resorts that were proposed. The Persian Resort, the Venetian Resort, the Thai and, you know, for example, the Persian one uh, never got built because that sort of became the boat dock area for Seven Seas Lagoon and Bay Lake. And, of course, the Venetian Pavilion never got built because of, of the marshy ground out by the TCC. But right. long range, the Magic Kingdom is the most popular theme park on Walt Disney World property. There is certainly an appetite for another resort in that area, but it then becomes a question of where could we place these things? I mean, for example, people forget that out behind the Magic Kingdom are all the bunkers where they store all of the fireworks. Yeah, you wouldn't put uh, you wouldn't put a hotel there. Yeah, well. But, 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 but this, you, you wouldn't. Well, uh, uh, probably. The, uh, so this land, though, if, we, if we're looking at west of the Grand Floridian, so west of the Grand Floridian, you've got the Oak Trail Golf Course. Mm-hmm. And this land, I believe the acres that they just bought plus the 200 and something that they bought last year is the opposite end of that golf course gym. So they could make it a golf resort, right? Or just uh, adjacent to it. We're talking about the area that used to be Eagle Pines, right? And remember what happened to one of those golf courses that's now Golden Oaks. On the opposite side. Yeah. That's towards Fort Wilderness. So uh, that'd be east of Bay Lake. I'm or just, Lagoon, sorry. just saying yeah. that we saw... Oh, you think it'll be a development? Mm. Oh. Prior to what just happened with Wall Street and the pandemic, was it phase three or phase four of Golden Oaks? Five. Just, five that just five. got announced. All right. So yeah. there's still... Oh, I think of homes. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, because you could do Lakeside with golf. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh. Especially now, given what's going on, Disney's probably going to bank this stuff. It'll be a sure. number of years before we see them actually move on it. But again, like I said, it's not like they're making their real estate. Good point. Speaking of uh, uh, waiting to do things, Jim, what's up with uh, construction projects at uh, Walt Disney World? So we saw the news that a bunch of uh, Disney executives uh, have mm -hmm. taken pay cuts, mm -hmm. and that's starting at the top and I think working its way down to the vice president level, is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Though it's the folks at the very top were taking, well, I, JPEG took a 50% cut, and then I think the next level took 30, and then there was 25 down to 20. 20, but, right, 20%, yeah. right. Okay, so the, and we also know that uh, the construction pro projects are halted there. Do you think that there will be some projects that come back online sooner rather than later? Like my sense is mm -hmm. Ratatouille was really close to being finished yep. over at Epcot. Mm -hmm. My sense is, as soon as the go-ahead is given to resume construction, Remy will open, right? They'll finish it up and get it out. Well, it's certainly going to need something very quickly this summer to sort of push, you know. So, yes, you know, Remy's being fast-tracked when they can. And again, I want to caution you, when people are allowed back in, 
to begin the construction work. I mean, we just had sure. Governor DeSantis, I mean, just yesterday, issued that statewide stay-at-home order. Previously, I want to say last Thursday and Friday, we had Orange and Osceola County both effectively issue a stay-at-home order, which which affected, what, 13 million people? And yeah. a large portion of those are folks who work at the Walt Disney World Resort, as well as Universal, SeaWorld, and the like. So sure. when the construction workers can get back in, Remy's a top priority. We still have this 50th anniversary looming. You know, five years of planning have gone into this. And in fact, the pressure is really on right now in regard to the, the 50th anniversary because there is a belief at Disney given, I mean, just today we saw, what was it, a record number of people file for unemployment? Oh, yeah. I mean, it dwarfed the, uh, I think the number that we saw, what, 6.6 million? Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. almost 10 times the the number that we saw during the Great Recession. Yeah. 10 times. I mean, it's it's unfathomable. I mean, yeah. And April, April will, will be worse, right? Oh, no, that's it exactly. And so you have a lot of people who Disney has come to rely on as regular customers for their theme parks and resorts that just will not be able to return. It would, it would be financially irresponsible. So, But on the other hand, for the 50th anniversary, there's this whole slew of people who, yeah. A, have never been to Walt Disney World, or B, it's been decades since they've been. And frankly, Disney is counting on those folks now to sort of bridge the gap until its regular set of customers get back to work and get in better financial straits, and then they'll return to the resort. So it's crucial that Tron Lifecycle gets completed, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind gets completed, because those are going to be in the front window, part of the big national campaign to lure people back down to Florida for the 50th, along, of course, with Harmonious. So let me let me walk you through some ideas here. So we know that... Uh Remy will open, Guardians of the Galaxy will, will get completed, Tron Light Cycle will get completed. Yep. What about longer-term construction projects like Reflections, the Lakeside Lodge over at Fort Wilderness? They hadn't gone vertical on that, if I recall correctly. Yeah. They were just clearing land. That looks like something where they could they could move some money around, right? Yeah. I mean, people need discretionary income to become DVC members, and for a while, that's going to dry up. So, yeah, that's an easy one to sort of put on hold. But they will, in fact, eventually circle around to it because Disney's on research shows that there's demand for that type of resort at Walt Disney World. What about the Star Wars Hotel? I've gotten so many calls about the reported defunding of that project. And this is Bob Chapek's baby. It sounds painful to say it's literally his baby, but okay. <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> okay. If you go with the three divisions of the company he used to be in charge of, parks, experience, and products. This is it, the, Venn the Venn diagram of that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, right. the, Bob didn't view this as a one-off. He thought this hotel was a franchise. In fact, there, there were plans. In fact, let's remember there's other Disney theme parks and resorts around the world that are reeling from what's been going on. Mm-hmm. France had that very ambitious plan in place for Walt Disney Studios Park with a frozen land, with a lagoon show, with the Avengers Campus for, for that park, in addition to its own Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which was going to have, just like in in, um, in Florida, its very own Star Wars Galactic uh, Star Cruiser, you know, hotel right next door. Okay. But what's been kind of interesting about the folks 
I was talking with the Disney is they believe that, and remember, this is a boutique hotel, not a whole lot of rooms. And people were already going to be paying top dollar for this two-day-long cruise-on-land type experience. The belief is the people who had the sort of money they'd need to do this Star Wars intergal- you know, uh, galactic cruiser hotel, they're still out there. They'll still come. But the question is, okay, but is there enough to sustain this? Right. I would be surprised if we actually do see this open in 2021 now. If you've seen any of the aerial photographs, in fact, our good friend BioReconstruct recently did mm-hmm. a flyover. The building's enclosed. It's clearly far along. In fact, it's so far along, they had just begun demo on the old entrance to Disney uh, Hollywood Studios off of uh, World Drive. Really? So the uh, the last the last weekend that the parks were open, I drove by the entrance, and it was still it was still there, but there was construction equipment around it. Well, it had been significantly hammered on before everybody was sent home. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So okay. Chapek, because this is his pet project, and he has dreams of making buku bucks on of off of this a hotel franchise further on down the line. It will go forward. He's the new boss. There's, there's a lot of people who are going to like, I want him happy because he's the one who will help me get promoted. So it's, you know, right. let's find the money to finish this. The question is, does it make it for an opening of 2021? Magic 8-Ball says check back later. But come 2022, yeah, I would bet there are people in that hotel. After that, remember, we were talking about the financial correction in 2008 and what mm-hmm. fell off the table there, uh, Hyperion Wharf and, and yep. the like. And this is that to the 10th power line. It's, it's going to be really, really interesting uh, gonna right. seeing where we are in six months' time or thereabouts, if we're even back in the parks at that point. All right, so we'll see what's uh, what's going on later on those. But it looks like that the the things that were supposed to be opening in the near future are still going to open in the near future, and that's good. Which yeah, is something to look forward to. But there's a number of things like that sort of island in the sky thing that was supposed to be sort of party central for world mm-hmm. celebration at Epcot. Um, oh right, yeah. Going to be interested to see if that actually makes it off the drive. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what happens to the Epcot construction plans because those were ambitious. They were longer term and uh, and they were expensive. Eh, we'll see. Yeah. All right, folks, just a quick reminder. Um, Touring Plans is doing a virtual movie night every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. where The movie is related to a Disney or Universal theme park ride. You can log on to the chat feature at touringplans.com or on Twitter. Use the hashtag liner movie night and we'll make goofy comments about the movie as it plays. This week's movie is Emperor's New Groove. Bring it on. And be sure to follow uh, Touring Plans on Twitter <laughs> to vote for each week's film. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Jim is going to tell us about the history of Flower and Garden Festival at Epcot. We'll be right back. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. All right, folks, we're back. And Jim is here talking about the International Flower and Garden Festival at Epcot, which reminds us of the outdoors, something that is in desperate, desperate (laughs) short supply right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> I remember outside. Yeah. I was, I, was, I was joking with Laurel the other day. It's like we, you know, I, I try and I try and get out once a day, mm-hmm. just to just to get outside. And then I, I was I was telling her it, it must be like what it feels like in prison for that one hour a day you're allowed in the yard. <laughs> you know, like like all right, this is my time. Got to stretch out. You know, if I can find a uh, if I can find a weight bench out in the open, maybe a basketball court. I don't know. Uh-huh. I, I'm just saying, Lynn, again, it's important to acquire new skills at a moment like this, but turning toothbrush into shivs, no. Shivs, no. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, and you know that you, you mentioned that. Somebody asked me the other day, and, and I didn't catch it at the time, what the difference between uh, what the difference is between a shank and a shiv. And I and I should have I should have asked why. <laughs> and it, it didn't occur to me at the time. <laughs> but I'm like, here's an isolation tip. Mm-hmm. If you're quarantined with your family and you're yeah. sheltering in place indoors mm-hmm. and they start asking questions like, what is the difference between a shank and a shiv? It may be time to go outside. <laughs> I, I, you know, or, or more to the point, are we talking veal shanks? Because I think one of those is braised. <laughs> yeah, the, other one, the other one might be roasted. I'm not yeah, entirely sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, bring it, a bit, bring it back, Jim. Epcot mm-hmm. International Flower and Garden Festival. You know, it, uh, this year, right, started on March 4th. I was there. We did it. We did a whole show about the, the great we food did. that was there. We did. Right? Yeah. It was supposed to end June 1st. Mm-hmm. It will definitely end on June 1st. I, 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 will, I will guarantee, Jim, yeah. on June 2nd, yeah. Flower and Garden Festival will not be in Epcot. Yeah, you will not be able to see it in Epcot. But this was originally supposed to the 28th edition was supposed to run 13 weeks and the park closed the 12th, right? Or two weeks into it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think the 17th, 17th or 18th. Yeah. There we go. Two weeks there in. We go. Yeah. Okay. So if, if we, we jump back to the very first one, it was held back in 1994, only five weeks long and actually didn't start till the middle of this month. It started in April 23rd. But remember, 1994, very big year for Epcot. That okay. was the year that Epcot Center effectively got rebranded. This was an incredibly short-lived initiative line. Remember when Epcot went from being Epcot Center to Epcot 94? (laughs) I forgot about Epcot 94. That's right, because they were doing doing years of Epcot, right? Epcot and then the year. They did two. They did Epcot 94 and Epcot 95, and then finally somebody said, I am sitting on a giant pile of Epcot 94 t-shirts. Can we stop doing this? Yeah. Because they ain't selling. <laughs> but anyway, the other reason that the whole Epcot 94 thing, because that's when Comitacore was undergoing this massive change. July 1st of that year was when the centermost portion of Future World reopened as interventions. 100,000 square feet of cutting-edge technology. But... In order to do this, in order to make this change, uh, Kimikor had to close January 30th, 1994. And since Avention isn't going to open July 1st, that meant from February 1st through June 30th, 1994, people entering Epcot would basically encounter this quarter-mile gauntlet of construction walls before they finally reached the theme park. The, the more things change, Jim. I was about to say! <laughs> All right, so this is what people forget about Epcot's very first International Flower and Garden Festival, that it was largely planned as a distraction from all of the construction that was going on at the very heart of Future World at the time. So all of these flowers were, were in essence, Disney saying, don't look at the construction wars. Look at these brightly colored beds of annuals. Like, Ooh. But you, you know what? Mm-hmm. If there's anything that you could get 
to contrast with the you know go away green wall uh, construction walls. Brightly colored flowers is a great idea. It's brilliant. Yeah. As Epcot was originally designed, there actually wasn't a whole lot of space left for flower beds. Future World was 100 acres. A World Showcase was 85 acres with a 40-acre lagoon in its center. Future World's 100 acres? Really? Is that, that's huge. 100 acres? Well, you know, you got to remember you're including back of house. In fact, you know... It, it, oh, okay, it, okay. I was going to say, because the Magic Kingdom itself is hundred is less than 100 acres, right? And the other thing, frankly, if you, if you go for the official Epcot footprint, they say it's 300 acres, and that includes the parking lot. So as the Imagineers were planning Epcot Center... 44 acres of Future World and 44 acres of World Showcase were designated as areas that needed landscaping. So here's Walt Disney World's landscaping team. They spend the four years out ahead of Epcot Center's October 1982 grand opening gathering specimens for the theme park, which involves the acquisition of 12,500 specimen trees, Len, uh, 125 different species. 12,000 uh, trees for Epcot. 12,000 trees for Epcot, which pales next <laughs> to the 25,000 individual shrubs and ground cover, 320 varieties of those, and then just five and a half acres for annual flowering plants. Oh, okay. And th- we've seen the, the flowering plants too. The, the thing with those is that they're sort of spaced out more, oh, sure. whereas we all know that the flower and garden plants are really dense to get that bright no. concentration of flowers. Sure. Absolutely. But again, remember that this is something that's done after the fact, after the initial plan. In fact, the other thing to remember that in order to, to acquire the space that's needed for all of these plants prior to the park opening, Walt Disney mm-hmm. World had to radically expand its on-site nursery tree farm. That that started in 1968 uh, as a 30-acre horticultural research center. And built at the the north end of Disney World property. In fact, they put it at the north end because the notion was, well, when it comes time to actually plant stuff in the Magic Mm -hmm. Kingdom, we don't have to halt the trees all that far. We won't traumatize them as we're moving them over to work site. By the way, I came across this great story that we all know about uh, how when you're at the Magic Kingdom, you're not really on the ground floor. You're actually on basically on the second floor of the building with the utilidors and all that below you. Likewise, that all of the land that the Magic Kingdom sits on was excavated out of the site where Seven Seas, uh, Seven Seas Lagoon was dug. Right. But Morgan Bill Evans, the gentleman who landscaped Disney theme parks around the world, had this very interesting story about, you know, they so they bring in, they haul all that soil there, they start building the Magic Kingdom, and they then start planting trees and shrubs in the soil that had been hauled out of Seven Seas Lagoon. And Bill's like, but, you know, when we did that, we turned the ground upside down and wound up with the heavy clay that was the bottom. Oh, right. But that's now on the top. So now when we're planting trees and shrubs in the soil, it's the equivalent of planting something in a marble bathtub. The roots can't go out into the soil. so they Because it's clay. It's clay. So they, they wound up having... Lots and lots of plants. And remember, they had carefully acclimatized all of these things to Central Florida and initially thought, well, well we screwed up. They, clearly, they weren't acclimatized. And it was only when they, they dig them up and see the root ball hadn't really grown out because it couldn't. In the hard clay, it was like, oh, damn. And oh, they had to, right. everywhere that they had trees and planters and that sort of thing, they had to scrape out all of that soil, put in new rich loam, and only then 
did stuff in the Magic Kingdom start growing the way it was supposed to? I was going to say, did they have the same problem? At, they would have the same problem at Epcot, right? Because they had to take out the dirt for World Showcase Lagoon, which presumably... They did, they did. Uh, but this time, kind of, <laughs> that's a lovely thing about institutional memory. It's like, oh, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As, my, as my dad used to say, you don't learn anything the second time you're kicked by a mule. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what they actually do is they scrape all of the soil out for, uh, again, that 40-acre World Showcase Lagoon, which, by the way, included some evidently giant, horrible-shaped root masses, and then hauled them a quarter mile away. In fact, when they went to go build the Caribbean Beach Resort in the late 80s, they then had to move all of the root masses and that sort of thing because <laughs> this was the site. Really? Is that where it was? Yeah. Well, again, you that's, know, that's hysterical. Yeah. But anyway, the plan for Epcot's landscaping is done at the same time as World Showcase buildings are being planned. And that's largely because of the enormous amount of time that's involved, uh, the lead time you need when you're, you're dealing with exotic trees. And that's people forget that, you know, for example, when uh, the France Pavilion opened up, one of the things that, that was interesting is they actually brought over Leiden trees, I think they're called. They're, they're these, these lovely flowering trees from France, and they needed those to acclimatize to central Florida before they could plant them. Only five and a half acres of this entire 300-acre theme park had been set aside for bedding annuals. So, and yet, when, when guests arrived for the very first International Flower and Garden Festival and in April of 1994, Epcot 94 had 165,000 flowering annuals scattered in more than 250 beds around that theme park, including wow. a necklace of 75,000 impatiens. That then served as a buffer between the construction site, again, the, your, your go-away green fences, and World Showcase Lagoon. All right. So here's my first question. Do they buy the impatiens or do they grow them from seed? Because you think it'd be vastly cheaper to grow everything from seed. But, but would it be? Because then you'd have to pay the people to grow them, right? What's, what's the cost-benefit analysis on buy versus grow? As I recall with the first one, they turned the key on this project very, very quickly. So they were reaching out to third-party vendors, and especially when you factor in the changeable Florida weather, I mean, you, you weren't just ordering 165 flowering annuals. You were ordering, you know, 300,000, yeah. 400,000, because you were going to have to replant, you know, when plants would wither if there was a sudden frost or sure. brutal heat wave or that sort of thing. So third-party vendors were rolling backstage and dropping off these flats day after day after day. And it was the 70 horticulturists who worked uh, at Epcot 94 who pulled right. this off. I mean, they'd show up on third shift. They'd load up their pargo, drive out to wherever they're supposed to be planting. And in the dark, a lot of them working with headlamps and that sort of thing, they do all of their planting right up until that there'd be this announcement to affect your attention, please. World Showcase is scheduled to open in 15 minutes. All vehicles and support equipment should be removed from World Showcase Promenade at this time. And yeah. everybody would load up their, their pargos and drive off stage. And as the guests came in, all they saw were brightly covered flowers. You know, they, they didn't notice the construction walls around what was eventually going to be Interventions. Interventions opens uh, July 1st of that year. And mm -hmm. tail end of the year, the folks at Guest Relations tally up the guest comments. And it turns out that when it came down to the most popular addition to Epcot 94, it wasn't Interventions. <laughs> it, it was Flower and Garden. Was it really? In the great tradition of temporary shows, you know, like The Voyage of the Little Mermaid, 
was supposed to only run 18 months, three years tops, has been in the park now for Disney Hollywood Studios for 28 years. So the one-off Flower and Garden Festival now comes back for the spring of 95. And let me tell you, Len, the folks in the nursery and the tree farm were not happy about this development. Wait, what year? 95. 95. Walt Disney World starts off with this 30-acre horticultural center back in 1968 because in three years' time, the Magic Kingdom would be opening just down the road. And that theme park needed thousands of trees. So it's 1995. And what's going to open at Disney World in just three years, Len? Disney's Animal Kingdom. Yep. And it's the largest theme park the Imagineers ever designed for Central Florida, 500 acres. It's also the most horticulturally-based project that WDA has ever done. I mean, just right. in the Africa section of that theme park alone, there are 771,000 trees, shrubs, excuse me, and nearly 70,000 trees. And the bulk of which had to be planted in the savannah a year in advance so that the animals, again, that would be viewed from the troop transports to roll through the Kilimanjaro Safari, they literally had to get the lay of the land. They had to decide what grass they were going to graze on, which tree they were going to lay under for shade. So picture this. You're, you're the staff of the, the Walt Disney World's nursery and tree farm, and you're in the process of ramping up for Animal Kingdom, planting acres and acres of new trees. And then the management team for Epcot 95 drops by and says, oh, by the way, we're going to need you to make a lot more space in your greenhouse from here on in. Flower and Garden has just become an annual festival. And oh, oh, by the way, well, while you're at it, could you whip us up a bunch of topiaries, a character base? Because <laughs> topiaries don't take any time. They don't take any time. <laughs> just- <laughs> this is a pretty brave thing to ask of people who are already stressed out about Animal Kingdom. Not too much of people who work all day with very sharp shears. I was going to say, this This sounds like something where they bring the horticulturalists into the meeting. Mm-hmm. They tell them everything they need. And the horticulturists come back and say, how do you expect us to do that? And then from behind a curtain, <laughs> they bring out these Edward Scissorhands <laughs> grafts to people and say... We have a unique healthcare benefit for you coming up. <laughs> well, you know, and, and also remember, these are people who work daily with lime and backhoes. I mean, you could disappear in a second. You could, so you could one body more or less. It's just a little bit more fertilizer back there. You have to wonder how many Epcot executives right now are taking a dirt nap out at the the, the tree farm. But. <laughs> I was going to say it's very delicate negotiations. You know, you know that the executives were sitting around a room going, "Okay, we've got to tell the horticulturals this. Who's going to do it?" And they started saying, "Like, who's the most convincing person here?" And then, "Who wouldn't be missed <laughs> <laughs> if they didn't come home at five o'clock?" <laughs> uh, well, anyway, that that, that is like, the the Reader's Digest version of how we got Flower and Garden. And again, just just something. That was created to distract from the creation of interventions. And here we are in that same space yet again. That's fantastic. I can't wait for a flower and garden to return next year. Mm-hmm. All right. Good job, Jim. That was, uh, that was very entertaining. I try. <laughs> Folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We've got a new show out on a unreleased Epcot script for an attraction that was never built. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's just announced he's opening for Tanya Tucker at the Hinterland Music Festival in St. Charles, Iowa on August 1st. Tickets are available at hinterlandiowa.org. 
gmail.com. And I, I didn't want to say it, Jim, but I can't resist. Hinterland in Iowa seems redundant. <laughs> While Aaron's doing that, folks, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.